The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. The Lord Jesus is using all the power that God the Father gave to him for the honor and glory of the Father. It is in this same way that the believer must be joined to the Lord, living unto him and for him in a state of intimate fellowship with God consecrating to him all his newly acquired powers and improving for him every faculty that he possesses. The weakest believer, if truly yielded to the Lord, shall know the fruits of the flowing life of Christ within. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, A Crisis and a Process. In some countries, there are people who allow themselves to be crucified for a period of time to show their devotion to the Lord. But Jesus has fully completed His suffering on the cross for our sins. If we truly want to follow Him, we must instead submit to the process of spiritual crucifixion. The Romans drove nails through the hands and feet of Christ. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to drive nails through your self-centered desires? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 8. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, A Crisis and a Process. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee for the life that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for Thy love, which did not leave us in our sin, but which did something about it, even coming in Thy Son to die for us. May our hearts show forth true praise. Grant, we pray Thee, that Thy truth shall come to each listening heart in this hour, in order that those who have not been born again shall realize their sense of need and come to the knowledge of Christ and in order that those who do know thee shall be brought to a deeper life of trust and faith. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text in Romans continues our study in the sixth chapter and the eighth verse. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered death in his body, being put to death for our sins and being raised again because of our justification. The death which we as believers in him and followers of him must undergo is death within the soul. In our Lord's death, the nails were driven through his flesh. In our death with him, the nails must be driven through our affections and desires. 
as we read in Galatians 5.24. If we are to understand the nature of the true Christian life, it is necessary that we understand the nature of the death with which our life starts. When the Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross, there began a long and painful experience. Crucifixion death is never instantaneous. It's a long, drawn-out process. If a man is killed with a bullet, the death may be almost instantaneous. If a man is hung from a rope around his neck, there will be a few convulsions and then the end. But death by crucifixion is a protracted death. Yet, though this death is slow and gradual, it is a death that is sure. Now, these are the characteristics of death by crucifixion that make it such an illustration of our death with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in this same manner that our old man, as the Bible calls it, the body of sin, is dealt with by God. He does not annihilate that old nature and leave an individual in sinless perfection. Oh, there have been sections of the church in all centuries which have attempted to teach that sinless perfection was presently possible, but they have never deceived anyone but themselves. As we read in 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and his truth is not in us. The terrible thing about such a doctrine is that it leads the one who follows such an idea into the slow belief that what he does is not sin. And this, of course, becomes one of the most horrible types of human pride. The Lord Jesus Christ was in the process of dying over a period of six hours. There were three hours of daylight and three hours of darkness. He, of course, went through some things that we do not have to go through. He knew what it was to be abandoned by the God of holiness, his Father, since in that hour he was being made sin for us, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It was for this reason that the Lord Jesus was able to give us the firm promise, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. God forsook him in order that he might not have to forsake us. Now, our death with the Lord Jesus Christ is both a crisis and a process. If we do not understand this, we risk losing years of joy in God, and we risk living poor little lives far below the level of the possibilities that God has for us in Christ. Now, first, let us consider our death with Christ as a crisis. And to take up still further the analogy of Christ's physical death, we can readily understand the first agony of crucifixion as a picture of the first agony through which the true Christian goes when he understands the nature of the life that he must live in Christ. Perhaps untold thousands of believers have gone through essentially the same steps in their growing experience of the Christian life. They have been made aware of their own sinfulness. Then there has come the day when they have received the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior from sin. With most, there is the anticipation that with this new step, there will be a complete victory over sin. And then suddenly they find that that's not the case. And they have the deep awareness of the presence of the flesh struggling against the spirit. In many cases, there is some sharp defeat, some falling into sin, sometimes into grievous sin. Immediately there comes the wondering thought, am I indeed truly saved? If I had believed properly, would this have happened? 
And then there comes the awareness of the necessity of being crucified with Christ. The Christian may not be far enough advanced to know the vocabulary, but the thing is there. He knows that he has something within him that must die. The heart knows its own deceitfulness and is aware that it cannot deal with sin by itself. There must come the great moment of yieldedness in principle to the will of God. Some have called this the moment of the surrendered life. Some have named it a second blessing. Some have called it the beginning of sanctification. Some have called it the moment when Christ is received as Lord. Well, it may have some of all these things in it. Certainly it is not a second blessing in the sense that it is an experience which does away forever with the old Adam. But it is an experience which yields the old Adam into the hands of the Lord for death. The whole thing will be repeated many times in life. The young believer does not know that at the time of his first experiences. He sees within himself the death of all desire and sees it go into the hands of the Lord as though life could never be the same again. And then there comes the warm, sweet tenderness of the risen life of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting the believer know that he, the Lord, is able to fill any loneliness which can come into the life and that he, the Lord, can surmount any difficulty that arises. Life thus grows out of death. There are many Christians who have never yet come to this first phase of dying with Christ. They live their lives in defeat, and it is necessary for the Lord to turn everything sour in their being in order to give them a distaste for the things that are of the world, and especially the things that are of self. The struggle can be very great. If there has been insufficient instruction in biblical truth, there may be continuing defeat and even despair. But if there is a pressing onward to surrender, if there is an earnest desire for yieldedness which the Holy Spirit will foster within the soul, then there will be the acceptance of crucifixion death in its first phase. The conflict is sharp. The child of God finally says, not my will, but thine be done. In saying it from the heart, the whole being seems to have submitted to the tearing of the nails into self. But there is the increasing knowledge taught by the Holy Spirit that the believer has been joined unto Christ in dying, in dying his death. And with this surrender, there comes great peace in the heart and joy in the soul. It may be that the life is filled with events that would ordinarily work for sorrow or that a worldling might call unhappiness. But nevertheless, there will be a deep awareness of the presence of the new life of Christ because the second half of our text is inextricably bound up with the first half. It is impossible to separate them in experience. Since we can talk about only one of them at a time, it may seem that they're different but they are more closely associated than the heads and tails of a coin. It would be possible to slice a coin and bring the two sides into view at once, but the experience we are considering is more like the palm of the hand and the back of the hand. These two cannot be considered as having no relationship to each other. It is impossible to turn one of them over without turning both of them over. And thus the living with Christ is a wonderful part of the dying with Christ. It is this which makes the world wonder at the thought processes of the Christian. It is this that makes the world think it strange that we run not with them 
to the same excess of riot as we read in 1 Peter 4.4. For all that the world can see is our apparent death. The life is invisible. The joys are unknown to the world. The unsaved man cannot receive the things of the Spirit, we read in 1 Corinthians 2.14. And as Christ himself said, the world cannot receive the Spirit or the things of the Spirit because it seeth him not. But before we consider the second half of the text in its full flowering beauty, let us complete our thought on our death with Christ as both crisis and process. That union in death as seen by God is complete and can never be touched, not even by God. Nothing can intervene to separate us from our high position as having been placed in that death by God and brought out into life in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our appropriation of it is another matter. It is crisis, as we have seen, and it continues to be process. I am still dying with Christ, day by day, though in one sense I died with him once for all. The older I grow in the knowledge of the word of God, the more I realize the depths of the Adamic nature within me and within all men. Let us return to the analogy of the death of our old soul and the death of our Lord's body. If we postulate that our Lord Jesus had a nervous system like ours, we will understand that every nerve in his body was a highway along which pain came galloping. Anyone who has ever undergone a major operation knows that the after pains can be very great. The night becomes a long, stretched desolation. The patient looks at the clock and sees, for example, that it is one hour before midnight. Pain takes hold of him, and he passes hours of anguish, or so it seems, until he looks at the clock again and finds that ten minutes have crept by. Once more the invading army marches from his brain to every part of the body, for if one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Untold time elapses, and the fevered eye looks once more at the clock and sees that five more minutes are gone. Thus it must have been with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ when he hung upon the cross, and thus it is with our soul when we consider all our life in one great survey. If we can become objective enough to stand off on the mountain peak of the Bible and look upon our whole life as it is spread below us in one great span, we shall see the conflicts, the growing pains, the progress by fits and starts, and often the defeats. We will see the tears mingling with the laughter, and at times the underlying sense of sadness. And yet, looking at our life from that distant point of view, the Word of God we see that there is a steady progress, even though all the movements and the delays are there. He that hath begun a good work in us will keep on perfecting it until the day of Jesus Christ, we read in Philippians 1.6. And the method which he uses within our being in order to make us more like himself is the method of continuing crucifixion, intermingled with continuing infusion of divine life. There are certain maladies of the bloodstream which can be overcome only by successive transfusions of blood from a donor. We are suffering with a disease of death, and the only cure is that the old nature shall be kept in his continual dying. 
and that the Lord Jesus Christ shall be constantly renewing us, we might say, drop by drop and moment by moment. And this he does. This is the heart of Christian living. Anyone who has ever known true love in this world can understand what it is to be joined to Christ in life. The young man meets the girl with whom he falls in love. She also falls in love with him. They are restless when they are apart. They write daily letters to one another. When they are in the springtime, the flowers remind them each of the other. When they are in the autumn, there is something in the warm hues that remind each of the other. The most trivial matters are of great importance because they have touched the beloved. When they talk together, they can spend hours, and when their time together is ended, they have said very little. But they really have said everything, for the heart has a language all its own, and the soul's possession of the soul and the spirit's possession of the spirit is ten thousand times more important than any physical possession. So is it with the believer and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not for naught that the Holy Spirit has called the church the bride and the Lord Jesus Christ the bridegroom. We love him because he first loved us. We read in 1 John 4, 19. And that answering love rises from the life that he gives us day by day. He feeds that love. He fans it into flame. And that love becomes our life. When we awake in the morning, our first thoughts are of him. We remember his dying love, and we remember that we live in his life. David knew and understood this life from above when he sang in one of his psalms, When I awake, I am still with thee, in Psalm 139:18, We remember the song that we sometimes sing, Still, still with thee when purple morning breaketh, when the bird waketh and the shadows flee. Fairer than morning, Lovelier than daylight dawns the sweet consciousness. I am with thee, alone with thee, amid the mystic shadows, the solemn hush of nature newly born, alone with thee in breathless adoration, in the calm dew and freshness of the morn, still, still with thee, as to each newborn morning a fresh and solemn splendor still is given. So does this blessed consciousness awaking breathe each day nearness unto thee and heaven. There are some that hear these words who will not know what I am talking about. That is true, perhaps, alas, for some, even some who are Christians. The great sad fact is that there are many, many Christians who have gained an interest in the death of Christ and who know him as Savior but who are nevertheless living narrow spiritual lives, unaware of the glorious prospects that are opening before us if we will but enter in to possess them by faith. Since in the sight of God we are joined to Christ in his death, so are we in the sight of God joined to Christ in his resurrection. The effects of that union are prodigious when we consider them in the light of the word of God. Just as we have the old nature of the flesh that dies, so we have the new life of God which lives within us. This is what the epistles call the new man. This new man is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We possess that life, that new man, in and around and overshadowing all of our thoughts and actions and being. That new man not only resembles Christ, but that new man within us is Christ himself. 
For we are made, as we read in Second Peter, we are made partakers of the divine nature. And it is Christ in us which is our hope of glory, as we read in the first of Colossians. You can enter into that living with Christ through the understanding of the dying with Christ. Any Christian life which is not based on this principle is either a counterfeit or far, far from that which the Lord wants it to be. There are lives, of course, that are lived year in and year out entirely in the energy of the flesh. Self-willed believers go their own way. and Sometimes they are so daring as to put forth their own will and claim that it is the will of God, even when it goes contrary to the revealed word of God. The true living with Christ is allowing his life to flow in us that we may be setting forth his life at all times. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his risen and ascended position, lives with God the Father, lives in God the Father, and unto God the Father. The Lord Jesus is using all the power that God the Father gave to him for the honor and glory of the Father. It is in this same way that the believer must be joined to the Lord, living unto him and for him in a state of intimate fellowship with God, consecrating to him all his newly acquired powers and improving for him every faculty that he possesses. This is our privilege no less than our duty, and therefore we may be persuaded that the weakest believer, if truly yielded to the Lord, shall know the fruits of the flowing life of Christ within. Finally, it should be noted that the verb which centers this text is one which draws us to the fact that this life is ours by faith. The text reads, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We believe it. Do you believe it? It's important. It should be noted that the word if, which prefaces our text, is not the if of doubt, but the if of certainty. Some of you do not realize, perhaps, that we constantly use the word if to express disbelief and also to express belief. A young man might tell his parents that he was leaving the house to go to the drugstore. His younger sister might look after him saying, if, if you're going to the drugstore, I'm Joan of Arc. Later, the mother of the household might start to leave the house saying that she was going to the drugstore. And the daughter might say, oh, mother... If you're going to the drugstore, will you bring me a tube of toothpaste? In the one sentence, she expresses doubt and disbelief, and in the other sentence, she expresses confidence and trust. The if in our text is of the latter variety. Because is what it means. If we died with Christ, that is because we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We believe it. It must be one of the central articles of our faith. Although we do not recite it in any creed, it is the expression of all belief that gives validity to that which we say we believe in the form of doctrine. It is the acceptance of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ did something for us and that the consequences are sure and certain. It is the equivalent of saying, because my father died and left me a fortune, I believe that I shall not be in want. It's just as simple as that. The deposit has been made to your account. And you have every right to enter into the possession of that which has been provided for you by the Savior. 
And it is when you do lay hold upon that life and allow it to be lived within you that you bring the most praise and the most glory unto him. For it is only by living his life that you can let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And our Father and our God, we pray thee for each heart that listens in this hour. Oh, may there be those who perhaps having struggled for years shall come to the end of struggling and build their hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Wilt thou bring conviction to hearts and above all to those that long for thy word? Wilt thou bring blessing and growth in those who have named the name of Christ? Hear our prayer. Give restlessness to any who have not been born again, but to all those who truly trust in thee. May thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide. And a new sense of our divine oneness with the Lord Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power. Now, until the Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. When we trust in Christ, God declares us to be perfectly righteous and begins a lifelong process of developing godly character and holiness in our lives. Are you crucified to the world and alive to the Lord? We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, A Crisis and a Process. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at AllianceNet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, A Crisis and a process, or simply request message number R6-24. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, All Things Work Together. Romans 8.28 declares, We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, even to them who are called according to His purposes. Yet many times we may feel that nothing good could ever come out of our problems and circumstances. This free booklet shows how this precious and powerful promise applies to any situation you may be facing and can fill you with hope and encouragement when you need it the most. Ask for your free copy of All Things Work Together when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org. 
Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.